0: Is it a shark? Yes, but not
1: just a shark. Well, then what is it? Tiger plus a shark. What? 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 Tiger, shark. Oh, what? Tiger shark. Oh what? Tiger shark. Oh what? Tiger shark. Did it kill all these people? We think so. But the great white. is
2: everyone and welcome back to let's jaws for a minute the podcast which took a deep dive into steven spielberg's 1975 masterpiece and is now setting sail into uncharted waters to discover the world beyond jaws i'm your co-host mj smith
0: and i'm sarah buttery and we have a guest joining us today to talk about et uh so a big welcome to kip mooney hi kip how are you doing
1: i'm doing wonderful how are y'all
0: Good. Pretty good, pretty good. Glad to have you here. Uh, first time guest on the show, so of course we have to ask you the Jaws question. Uh, now we're attracting guests who may be jaws isn't their first love i'm interested like how this question is gonna go going forward but we're just assuming everyone loves jaws and maybe someday someone will come on and be like i hate it it sucks and then that will be the rest of the episode uh (laughs) (laughs) uh, as me and mj tell you why you're wrong uh but yeah what is your relationship if any with with jaws that sort of brought you to this podcast obviously you're you're here to talk et but yeah tell us tell us about jaws
1: (laughs) Um, well, sorry to point you, I don't have a hot take. Jaws is incredible. Um, I think I first <laughs> yes, saw it, <laughs> it probably in the year 2000. Like, it was, I remember there was like a 25th anniversary broadcast on ABC that uh, I remember watching with my family and definitely uh, getting pretty terrified. Like, it's still amazing what they were able to do mm-hmm. without you seeing the shark very much and also the fact that it's rated pg and (laughs) there's you know pretty gruesome stuff uh in that movie Mm -hmm. um but i've seen it you know probably a dozen times since and it never loses its power it's just like so perfectly constructed and it's just hard for me to believe that this was only like his third movie yeah and Mm -hmm. like just the last time I watched it, I was just kind of in awe. There's like a whole conversation between the mayor and the sheriff and they're just on a ferry and it's just a single shot mm-hmm. from like the time they get on the ferry to the time they get off. And I'm just like, Spielberg was what? I don't know. He was under 30. I'm yeah, pretty he sure. He was like 27 maybe, or 28, something like that. Yeah. Mm. It's just amazing that, you know, I'm sure as adapting this, you know, popular creature fiction like you know a lesser director you know probably just would have focused on you know the shark eating people and yet there's this whole there's not just you know the terrific filmmaking on display you know it's also kind of an indictment on capitalism Mm -hmm. and how safety is second to tourist dollars and all that stuff and then I mean, and then of course, you know, the centerpiece of them on the boat the night before they attack Jaws where, you know, they're just swapping stories and showing off their scars and it's just great filmmaking. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, at, at time of recording, we recorded our uh, audio commentary for Jaws yesterday and we, we've we gone minute by minute through this damn thing and, and watched it many, many times and yet we were still finding Things about it that we hadn't picked up on before, which was kind of wild, as we were watching the film together, sort of over a stream, that we were still able to find something new in it. And it is just one of those great films that that, that keeps on giving. And I think with sort of second this into to talking about E.T., you can so clearly see. The journey of Spielberg as a director and how much of Jaws and his early work comes into the films that he is making sort of arguably at his peak. You know, he's at this point in his career with E.T. It's like a battle between him and George Lucas of who can make the most money with their films at the at the box office, but you can track all of that back to Jaws. <laughs> the confidence he had as a filmmaker at such a young age to make these kind of films is mm. is kind of astonishing really and i think we still see that in et and there's a lot of his own influence like from jaws in these films that he is making sort of like in the 80s 90s as well which i think is is super interesting and is going to be interesting to chart as we go through the rest of his films but let's let's get stuck into talking about et uh so it was released in 1982 and uh, and et saw spielberg continuing to pump out crowd-pleasing blockbusters following the success of raiders of the lost ark just one year earlier uh, quite oh the my God. <laughs> busy so busy man <laughs> Uh, E.T. is about a troubled and lonely child who helps a friendly alien leave, well, friendly, up for debate, uh, leave, <laughs> friendly alien leave Earth and return to his home planet. It stars Henry Thomas, Robert McNaughton, and Drew Barrymore as our sort of main trio of, of siblings, uh, plus Dee Wallace and Peter Coyote as their core adults. There's not many adults in this film, but there are main ones. Uh, it was a, a huge <laughs> monster box office hit, uh, eventually superb, star wars in 1983 to become the highest grossing film of all time uh, a record which it held until spielberg uh, himself <laughs> supplanted it with jurassic park uh in nineteen ninety three. So this battle between George Lucas and Spielberg so who could make the biggest, most profitable film was uh very much ongoing in the in this decade and beyond. Uh it was nominated for nine Oscars, winning four Whoa. uh for sound, visual effects, sound effects editing and original score were the ones that it won. So plenty to talk about uh I'm sure. So uh Kip, we'll throw it over to you first as our as our guest. Um Maybe you can start us off with, I guess, just your overall thoughts on, on E.T., perhaps a relationship with it as well. I know it's a film that a lot of people sort of have this childhood nostalgia connection with, so it'd be interesting to hear about uh, yeah, about that and, and what you think of
1: E.T. Yeah, so this is a movie that's been in my life for, you know, as long as I can remember. It was definitely one of... <clears throat> the first VHS tapes that we had in our house and uh there was a poster in my sister's room the original kind of one sheet um that we had forever and ever and so it was definitely something that we watched a lot growing up and, and for good reason um because it really is uh a movie for kids but I don't think there's anything derogatory in that um the movie that I was most reminded of when I rewatched it last week was A Christmas Story because it's a movie told from a child's point of view, but with a grown-up's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. it's definitely like even like the filmmaking is is on like a child's POV. Mm-hmm. Like especially the first twenty minutes, if like, you only see you know the feet of the adults you know, the the whatever government entities are trying to track down E.T. Um, and like the first thing you hear after you meet E.T. is in the house, you you hear just, you know, the yelling of them playing Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, Henry Thomas just begging to play, just waiting for his older brother to, you know, like take an interest in him and all that. But you do also get this kind of adult perspective the things that you wouldn't pick up on as a kid but like you know poor d wallace just trying to like (laughs) hold it together as a newly single mom Mm. and you know she's got these three kids who are not bad kids but they're just you know very hyperactive and she's just trying to you know make ends meet and just do her job and raise these kids and then like the last thing she needs is an alien to live in her house (laughs) and um there's just that great moment where early on where uh henry thomas had talked to his dad and he just casually mentions that during dinner that uh you know he went to mexico with his new girlfriend Mm -hmm. or whatever and the mom just kind of has a little bit of a breakdown and she's like but he hates mexico Mm -hmm. like it's just this great little observation that a kid wouldn't understand but like an adult would pick up on and so i i just really love it i know uh a lot of people maybe think that it's this is spielberg dipping too far into sentimentality which he can definitely do
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: a lot um but yeah i still think it's it's just as great as when i was a kid and i have new appreciation for different aspects of it every time i see mm. it yeah this
0: it this very much feels like the film that makes people associate Spielberg with schmaltzy sentimentality, right? Like this, this is really the first time that we that we see that. And and we've spoken in the films that we've spoken about of his so far, this darker side that that there is to them. And actually, in our in our commentary that we were recording yesterday, we sort of mentioned about how a lot of spielberg films like depending on what your entry point was for spielberg give kids their first taste of horror whether that's jaws whether that's raiders which does have elements of horror in it whether it's jurassic park or i'm sure there's others as well but this sort of like slightly scary edge to his films and et certainly has that i was quite surprised by how much it it really sets this film up like it's going to be a horror in in the beginning i think i'd kind of forgotten that a little bit um as it had been a minute since i'd I'd watched it last but it does obviously by by the end the the strings are stirring the tears are flowing this is spielberg at his kind of sentimental best and i think this is the film that that people think of when they just dismiss spielberg as this guy who just does sort of like ah he's just you know he does the kind of overly like schmaltzy sentimental films i think this is the the film that people are are thinking about because it's it's kind of what started that that type of film from him i i guess but my journey with et is kind of interesting because i i certainly saw it as a child but i don't really have that same warm fuzzy nostalgic childhood feeling about it i've never disliked it certainly because i think it's a great film but i've never had that like oh that is one of the beloved films of my childhood and i i had the same thing with raiders of the lost ark as well i think just i mean i was born in 91 so these were films that existed in my childhood but i just think that for kids of the 80s they certainly hold a, a um a different sort of place in in their hearts i mean my My husband's born in 86 and this is a film that he remembers watching and loving in his childhood and same with Indiana Jones. So I think that that's probably why (laughs) I don't have that same affection for it. But without that, I sort of come come at this without those road tinted glasses of this being a beloved film from my childhood and can kind of just appreciate it for the film that it is. And when we sat down and watched it yesterday for... The first time in a long time, for me, I think I really, really appreciated what this film was was doing, and I got it. I got why it resonates with so many kids, and it is this sort of timeless story family you know family film classic, but there is this darker side of Spielberg that we're sort of spoken about. There is still that stuff there. there,'s some heavy stuff in there, just the way it mm-hmm. handles it is is very very different and this is uh having not seen the fablemans because it hasn't come out over here yet this at the moment is Spielberg's most personal film like this is a film that he made about his parents divorce uh as like yeah. a sort of a young man <laughs> looking looking back on that time of his life and the sort of the anger and the disappointment he felt and the loneliness as well like you really get a lot of that in the character of of Elliot. So it'd be interesting to see sort of like how his perspective has changed as he has gotten older. And I think they will be two films that will be interesting to sort of like compare and contrast with each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I enjoy this film a great deal. And I think that it's, it's wrong to just sort of dismiss it as this like warm, fuzzy, sentimental film, because it absolutely is that. But there is more to it than that, as there is with all of spielberg's films uh i think it's there's always more going on underneath the surface that that doesn't necessarily get mentioned
1: yeah and there's also plenty of examples of spielberg you know doing sentimentality even more egregiously like if mm. you want <laughs> bad spielberg being schmaltzy there are plenty of examples uh like hook for instance yeah <laughs> <laughs> This yes. is much better than some of his other very, uh, you know, warm, fuzzy movies.
2: Yeah, yes. we are we are staunchly <laughs> anti-hook on this podcast, so I'm glad you... Yeah, I'm good.
1: You I knew I, I came to the right place. Yeah, yeah. and Ready Player One.
2: Uh, Ready Ugh. Player One, uh, yeah. Gross.
0: The only film that might be worse than 1941, but we've got a while until we get there. I don't know <laughs> if it's worse than
1: there.
2: 1941. I... Uh,
1: I don't I know. I personally think we'll the see. BFG is the worst of all of them, but, Oh, it sucks. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys want it. Oh, I That's remember so kind of
2: I remember kind of liking the BFG, but I haven't seen it since theater, so maybe I'll I'll change my mind yeah. on it. But yeah, bad. so uh ET, I think I'm going to be the dissenter here a little bit. Um Oh, no. <laughs> it's not bad. Like I here's the thing. I don't like this movie and I kind of can't tell you why. <laughs> um it just doesn't grab me for some reason it's very well made it's pretty well performed i really like d wallace in it um i think her character is honestly maybe the most interesting one to me um <laughs> out of all of them the kids are okay drew barrymore is the best out of the three uh mm-hmm. i think um i don't like et like as a character i think he's characterized really well I think the puppet kind of sucks. And not just because the puppet's ugly, though I do think the puppet is ugly. I think it's just kind of a bad-looking puppet compared to, say, like, the stuff Henson was working on with, like, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth around this time. I think it's sort of subpar. Um, So I think that might have something to do with it. Like, I just... I feel like I see all the emotional beats, but feel kind of one step removed from all of it for some reason i don't know why i don't know if it's one of those like movies that you like growing up on as uh, kip i think we we're roughly the same age like not quite 80s babies but on the cusp so i think a couple of those sort of like 80s baby sweetheart movies might have passed me by like uh, like this and like the princess bride which is a movie i actually like more than this but don't really get all the cult uh mm-hmm. following mm-hmm. for um so i think it's just one of those movies that by virtue of not growing up with i don't i, I don't know i just it's it looks great it, the score is incredible but i just don't really feel anything when i'm watching it like it's fine <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, my
1: movie in that in that category is definitely The Goonies. Oh well, The Goonies um, is like terrible. Don't hold... <laughs> yeah, we both we both hate I, I The mean, Goonies. <laughs> I, I, I do think it's bad, but like I don't begrudge anyone who likes it. But I'm just like I don't I don't get what you like about this, yeah. other than I guess it's like kids your age hanging out when you saw it, yeah, and going on an adventure. But it's like. If you want what the Goonies does in that respect, you should just watch Stand Standby. Yeah,
2: yeah. Absolutely. Or ET. Honestly, i i like the i like e. yeah. ET way more than I like the Goonies. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: yeah. Infinitely better. Goonies I isn't think, um, think, Spielberg, is it? Richard Donner. It's dr- I think a right, produced. Pr- it produced. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, watching this, I mean, I kind of knew this in the back of my head, but watching it, I was like. This whole movie is such an explicit reference point for the Duffer Brothers. Oh, yeah. Like, if E.T. never came out, like, I think you could make the case that Stranger Things would never have become <laughs> mm-hmm. a show. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Because uh, especially,
1: interest- like, the first season or two, like, it is, they're just lifting directly from this movie. Yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, an interesting point on that actually like uh one of our our tweets um that we had uh about et let me just find it um sort of said a something along those lines really of of how much it does uh pay homage to it and he said that uh, this is chris Payne, who was on our raiders uh, episode last week um re-watched the first episode of stranger things recently and the bulk of the episode is basically an homage to et too many links to mention here but basically 11 is et um I get that. I I see that. I mean, it's. I watched Stand by Me recently as well because uh, I was writing a thing on Richard Dreyfuss and he's in it, so I, I rewatched that. And I that uh, Stand by Me plus ET equals Stranger Things <laughs> to me. Obviously, there's a lot of other influences in there as well, but I don't know whether it's just the sort of like the kids, the kids on the bikes, the the real sort of like focus. On the kids and it being from like the kids' point of view, and then being the main part of the story, I think is obviously where those similarities can be drawn. But yeah, huge, huge influence of of ET on on Stranger Things for sure. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think th- this kicked off this whole. Wait, hang on, I gotta confirm something before I say. Um, <laughs> yeah, it kicked off kind of the the trilogy, like the kids on bikes trilogy of ET, Goonies stand by me right and sure. yeah those movies those are three movies that for the most part are very still very well received by the vast majority of people mm-hmm. um and i mean to the point where there's like there's a tabletop rpg called kids on bikes and like you role play as <laughs> a group of teenagers in the 80s solving kind of supernaturally mysteries or, or going on adventures i guess but mm-hmm. um you know and now stranger things has brought that that sort of genre uh back as well. And I mean, I think the it became it's weird because they can only name those three movies in Stranger Things as <laughs> the thing as the the movies in that subgenre, kind of. Um I'm sure there's more um there's more coming of age stuff uh to like um what's that movie with Rosie? Is it called Now and Then uh oh, yes. that felt like a sort of like uh, uh, the all-girls version of a Kids on Bikes movie, um, like mm-hmm. a Stand By mm-hmm. Me, and th- the only other one I can think of is a movie that takes sort of the language of that and sort of flips it on its head, which is a fantastic horror movie called uh, Summer of 84. Have you guys seen Summer of 84? Nope.
1: No, but I know what you're talking <laughs> about. I was like, that's, a, that's very explicit homage.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um... Anyway, it's from 2018, and it's awesome. It's really good, but it's about (laughs) these kids uh, trying to find a serial killer in their kind of sleepy hometown. And uh, it's, you know, it's like an R-rated more... Oh, it's not rated, um, but it's like an R-rated darker version of this kind of movie. And it's Mm -hmm. so wild to think about that these three movies are so enduring that we're able to do an entire kind of, like, not parody, but sort of riff on it that plays with what that formula is and makes it not as hopeful. Um, And everyone still, like, understands all the reference points for it. And it's really just kind of three movies plus Stranger Things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I... It's interesting to sort of, like, chart that. I mean, the the thing that, like, immediately struck me when I was watching E-T is I didn't realize the kids were, were playing dnd <laughs> right at the mm-hmm. beginning because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. i was kind of distracted by the fact that like the kids were smoking and i was like that's funny uh, i mean it's not funny smoking bad but uh, i <laughs> didn't actually realize what what game they were playing but like these kids try and act like all cool and like putting down poor little elliot for being a you know the younger kid but i'm like these are all nerds as well like i don't know what they're talking about <laughs> what they're talking about here but they're i mean the that stranger things is basically D&D in the tv series right it takes right. so much with my very uh limited knowledge of, of dnd but i know enough <laughs> to know how much that takes from that but this seeing things from the kids perspective and i i really like honed in on it watching et this time around because i've heard people talk about it so much about how the way this film is shot and the way it is like it is from the kids perspective it wasn't as as brazen as i was imagining it to be because uh, like i said it had been a minute since i'd watched it and i was like oh is it is everything like low down like is that how mm. it's shot and it it isn't uh when it's shooting the kids the kids are just shot normally and interestingly d d Wallace as, as the the kid's mom like she is shot normally like she's shot as one of the kids is how spielberg um talks about it uh in the sort of like making of and stuff but all of the other adults, like particularly in the beginning when they are like these shady figures out in the woods, so we don't really mm. sort of see their faces. He shoots them in sort of like silhouette, or just their feet, or their sort of like uh, waist, uh, and we don't sort of really see see higher up. The great example of that is when Elliot is in the classroom and this teacher is just sort of like walking between the pupils and it, you literally yeah. don't see, you don't see his face at all. And there's a deleted scene as well with um, Harrison Ford as like the, the, the school principal. And even though it's Harrison Ford, you still don't see his face. <laughs> you still don't see his face. It's just like shot from uh, low down or sort of like from behind him. So this air of mystery about the adults and and where that switches is when things sort of take a very <clears throat> a dark and dramatic turn which is when sort of ET and Elliot's life is in danger and uh the character is is uh, keys who is um Peter coyote he he sort of like makes this very dramatic entrance into the house and then suddenly it's just a hive of activity government agents doctors uh, and that's when it sort of like switches out of the child perspective shots if you will into sort of the, the more standard shots and i just i I find that really interesting that it's not sort of like going down to the kids level but it is making this so firmly about the kids that absolutely works for this this kind of story and this kind of film the film that spielberg is 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 making and the story that he Mm -hmm. is trying to tell as well like this could have very easily become the you know the mother been more of the focus or the government agents trying to find dt more of the the focus but it keeps this focus the whole time like on this group of kids and i i personally find that very very compelling because yes there were a lot of films after this that that did that and took that idea and did sort of similar things we've mentioned a lot of them um already on this episode but hard to think of films that did it so well before this
2: right <laughs> yeah i mean i think that it definitely i mean what you what you see right is you see from the 70s forward the prevailing like popular movies they start to skew way younger than they ever had mm-hmm. um right i think up until probably Jaws right like it was kind of just Disney doing that and it Mm -hmm. was pretty squarely a lot of animated stuff but then Disney ups their even their their uh, live action game in 1980s as well I mean Tron comes out in 82 as well Mm -hmm. uh Mm E.T. is in 82 there's so many movies that skew towards like preteen to teenage audiences around this time and it's because of the one-two punch of jaws and star wars honestly like you know there's this scene where elliot is explaining to et all his toys and they're all mm. from freaking george lucas and steven spielberg movies and yeah, it doesn't even, Greedo. Like, yeah Greedo. yeah <laughs> Greedo and lando and boba fett and like he does the thing with the <laughs> shark in the in the water with the goldfish yeah. <laughs> and uh it, it it was funny because i was like I mean, it's kind of not even a flex. It's just a fact. Like, that's just the <laughs> stuff kids are into yeah. around this time. Like, I know it was kind of probably a yeah, nod to... Yeah, it doesn't to, read as
1: product placement. Like, it's yeah, just yeah, what it the are. At this time Yeah, it just...
2: Yeah, definitely 1980s kids were into all of that stuff. So... Um, it just like, and not even, it doesn't even feel like a nod or like a hell yeah, we did that, you know, type of thing. It's just like, (laughs) this is just how reality is for these, these kids of this era. And it feels very lived in. It feels very, um, uh, very realistic for the time. Once again, not, not strictly an eighties baby. I was born two years before the nineties. So, um, yeah, I didn't get a ton of that uh, nostalgia for, for a lot of that. but And it's it's funny, too, that you mentioned A Christmas Story, Kip, because I also really don't like that movie either. And I think <laughs> I feel very similarly about A Christmas Story, where I think you you might have hit the nail on the head that a kid's movie told, like, an adult type of movie maybe doesn't work for me. But I liked Stand By Me. And, like, I liked the first it the first chapter um so i don't know maybe i'm very selective about that type of movie <laughs> but i don't I, yeah I, and like i said i can't really fault this movie for anything i just don't connect with it really at all um which is weird because like a california boy like that once again like we've talked about <laughs> a lot of his spielberg or a lot of spielberg's other movies looks like my backyard you know um like <laughs> shot in the San Fernando Valley, which was just a couple hours away from me, like a very familiar with what that area
1: looks like. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I have what might be a very difficult question for y'all. Um, do you think this is John Williams' best score?
2: Hmm. Ooh.
0: I had this discussion with my husband earlier, <laughs> this almost exact question, and I was like, everyone's favorite film score is probably a john williams score but it will be a different one i yes. as much as i love jaws jaws is not my favorite john williams score this yeah. this might be it i think this or star wars or maybe jurassic park but it is a gorgeous score and not even yeah, just beautiful. like the main the main theme there's so many i mean i've been humming it all day been, mm-hmm. <laughs> Like it's really got in, it's really got into my head and got under my skin and i i've Refound my love for the, this score so that is a very uh, uh, not direct way of answering that question I think it I think it might be it's, but I don't yeah. know man has made a lot of good
2: scores so. it's real yeah. I think as a score because I think he's like the king of themes right like I, sure. if you had to I think the harder question for me is what's the best John Williams theme um, mm. because Like, Um, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Superman, E.T. Like, that's trying to narrow down to a single theme track. But I think as a whole, as, like, a cohesive piece of of music, I think E.T. might be his best score. Maybe Star Wars. Maybe Star Mm -hmm. Wars. Um, I also really like the... I know it's sort of a meme. I really like the score to Phantom Menace, too. Uh, (laughs) I... Oh man, it's between E. T. and Star Wars, I think. But like that yeah. piano track at the at the end credits is so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it is. Is I, it? I, I, is I would it also it? say that this is his best, but there's there is a lot of competition. Yeah,
2: there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, interestingly enough, Sarah, my favorite film score is not a John Williams score.
0: Oh, Uh-oh. go on. Speed Tell
1: Racer. Me. Speed Racer. Michael Giacchino. Uh-oh
0: hmm okay okay i
1: yeah he's probably my favorite modern living composer yep mm-hmm. i'm like, partial
0: you know, to a thomas newman as well i really
1: love oh yeah he's great too i really like johan johansson but he yes. sadly passed oh, away oh, a few years yeah. ago but mm-hmm good stuff yeah um
2: so i want to talk about et i know we're talking about et but i want to talk about et the 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 little guy the 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 little guy at the heart of this movie what do you guys think about et i made my thoughts known that i kind of don't connect with him because i think he's ugly and the puppet sucks. (laughs) but what do you what do you guys think about about him
0: look he's kind of he's kind of creepy looking if someone was like i'm scared of et i'd be like fair enough but he is a weird-looking little thing, and they put him in some funny outfits and stuff as well, so I think they kind of lean into that weirdness a little bit. I don't know if it's just me, but I also think it's kind of cute. <laughs> I just think by the end, it's just like this. It's the eyes. It's just got this sweet little... I think he's got quite a sweet little face but also they really set it up like a horror film i cannot stress i cannot stress this enough how much they make this film look like it's a horror and i stumbled across one of the trailers earlier for for this film i don't often watch the trailers for old films because i think old trailers are kind of sucky uh (laughs) because it's a lot of just the same voiceover guy telling you the plot um but one of the trailers cut for E.T. legit makes it look like a horror film it, it like it almost looks like one of those parody YouTube things that someone has done and gone like how it what well, E.T. would look like if it was a it was a horror is how this actual real trailer looked. But, but back to Lil Alien dude. Kinda creepy looking, but also I don't know if it's just because he's a nice character, I also think he's quite sweet and endearing. So <laughs> I'm not with you on this one, MJ, I'm very sorry. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I also think he's pretty sweet and enduring. The thing that I forgot is how fast he is. Like, <laughs> in the opening 20 minutes, he is, like, booking it away from those, <laughs> you know, shady military people. Like, his body, you would not think he could move very fast. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he uh, he was getting after it, trying to get away from them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did also, you know, since, you know, everything connects to Star Wars, I did also appreciate the moment when it's Halloween and he walks by the kid in the Yoda costume. Mm -hmm. And they have kind of that stop and they measure each other up. And uh, I'm sure that's an Easter egg that actually has no meaning to the lore of E.T., but it made me wonder, (laughs) "Mm, is his planet in the Dagobah (laughs) system? Because... When he shows, when he does like the solar system, when, when Elliot shows it to him and then he, you know, uses a Play Doh to make his galaxy or, you know, his cluster of planets, mm-hmm. it's outside, it's beyond our solar system. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, Can, I mean, there's. It made me wonder if <laughs> nearby. there are. There are ETs in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. That is true. Mm-hmm. So. You're right.
1: Who knows? Yeah.
0: That makes less sense because at yeah. least in this, it's like. This is a universe where Star Wars exists because he's got the Star Wars action figures. So a right. kid being dressed up as Yoda for Halloween like makes <laughs> a lot more sense than Lily E.T.s just rocking up in Attack of the Clones. But to to burrow even further into this Easter egg, they use a bit of Yoda's theme in the score as well. Um, it's really subtle. I had to watch it twice to pick it out, but yeah. And I, I thought that was like george lucas being like hey spielberg and you just pop yoda in there but spielberg didn't tell george lucas about it until he saw the film they watched it together and he was just like hey
2: yeah well <laughs> that's uh, my guy to, to burrow even further what does et say when he sees that guy he says home 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 mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. exactly i yeah. think i think there's something there which means that we are very quickly entering a light year situation of it's the movie that andy saw that's based on (laughs) the toy was based on or whatever oh no
0: (laughs) yeah what is it the i'm trying to get into this bit because i actually think that the i think the puppet work on this is actually pretty good and i mean the version presumably the version we all watched is the 2000 I think it was 2002 remastered he kind of did a George Lucas and uh spruced things up a little bit and added Mm. in some there's some digital et in there but it's pretty it's pretty seamless it's I until I watched the the featurette on it I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what was from before and what was after but I think the the fact that it's a tangible physical thing that the kids can actually interact with makes that's what really gives the film its emotion for me like it's it is this thing that you can touch that is there that you're interacting with in a in a scene and I think as drew Barrymore sort of talking about making this film like she knew it was. uh uh, you know a person in that suit or a person sort of moving the arms or just a sort of animatronic like she knew it wasn't real but she felt it like when she had to sort of say her goodbye or when she thought it was dead she was like i'm saying goodbye to my friend and obviously like she's a little kid so she's really kind of buying into it but she mentioned as well like you don't necessarily get that now with either sort of like mocap or cgi like you're interacting with a uh ball on a stick kind of thing like the thing isn't actually there but this alien being there i mean same in jaws right the the it being a real shark and it being something that you can see and touch and feel and interact with add something add something to it i i appreciate that if you made et now you could probably yeah tighten it up a little bit it would probably look a little bit better but i mean this is the this is the 80s and i don't i agree in the sense that i think that some of the other puppetry of this era the sort of the jim henson stuff is is better but that's i mean that was kind of their whole thing right like Billy like puppets yeah. was there was their thing but even i would put it up there with sort of like the the puppetry and animatronic stuff in in Star Wars, like, I don't... I I don't... It's hard with Star Wars now, because obviously George Lucas has done so much tinkering, but the stuff that is actually guys in suits and puppets and that sort of thing, I think holds up as well yeah. as E.T.
2: does. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's Henson's workshop, too. Like, he didn't even... Right? Yeah, Because sure. Spielberg uh, Spielberg sourced this to ILM, right? Because it's, mm-hmm, it's in the mm-hmm. documentary ILM did all the effects for E.T., but... Not even Lucas is sourcing the puppets to, to, to ILM. He's sourcing <laughs> them to, to the Ensign. So, uh, I was just, I, that really, cause having just watched the, uh, the ILM documentary on, on Disney plus that struck me where it was like, Oh, puppets <laughs> weren't their strong suit. Like for as great as, you know, and or at least they weren't then they, they kind of came through with, um, Jurassic park, but that was a full 11 years later. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, their miniature work is incredible, and obviously the way they push the envelope with CGI and and all that is, you know, I'm not saying ILM's bad, right? But um, <laughs> that would be a crazy thing to say. But I just think that that here compared to like the the ILM puppetry on ET versus you know Henson's work with Yoda and uh, some of the puppets in and like. Well, obviously, The Muppet Show and, and um, the two movies are just... They're, they're so next level that I think e- E.T. kind of sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Um, also, the fact that he kind of looks like a sore thumb to me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I just There are moments where he is very cute. Like, the moment in the morning when Elliot is showing him... Like, trying to teach him everything he can teach him. Where he's teaching him about the b- piggy bank and the money and the um the toys and the goldfish and feeding the fish and all this et's just like his little his little peepers are looking over the 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 dresser at him and looking up at elliot and trying to like very sincerely and sweetly take in everything he's saying <laughs> while also not understanding a single word he's saying <laughs> um and it, that part is very cute but then like the scene where he gets drunk and uh like, raids the fridge, and he's in the flannel shirt. He's kind of wet for some reason in that scene, and that really bothered me.
1: <laughs> yeah, he does look a little gross in there.
2: Yeah, he just, like, he looks slimy sometimes, and I don't know what that's about. <laughs> yeah.
0: like he's he's, he's, he's he's got a sweat as well. Aliens sweat too, right? <laughs> sure. I don't know if it is sweat or just... <laughs> Yeah. I I mean the they used obviously like a combination of of techniques on this. So it it does look different in different scenes. Like the mm-hmm. the puppet and you can sort of tell when it's a person in there and and when it isn't. Obviously when you see him like full length and he's kind of moving around like usually it's a a, a person in there and the 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 drunk scene when he sort of falls like flat on his face they they got this kid to do it a kid who was born without legs i believe so he could sort of like walk on his walk on his hands and they had him in the suit and that's <laughs> this poor kid he probably had to fall on his face a number of times but the i i will say there isn't a base you know because they use sort of a combination of puppet animatronic hands you know j- just a person with their hands in like a hand suit type of thing people in suits whatever that there, there there is some inconsistency between how the the puppet looks between scenes so i can see what you're saying MJ, that there's like moments when he kind of like just doesn't look right or just like looks a bit gross or the movement is a bit off or it's not quite even scale wise sometimes i think sometimes he looks real tiny and then other times he looks huge Mm -hmm. um but i it almost doesn't um, well it doesn't matter to me or it doesn't bother me as much because i think that it being a character who doesn't communicate we're we're so much left to sort of fill in the gaps in et's story which i love like considering this is a, a quote kids film and i mean we spoke about this with jaws as well like how it it absolutely doesn't hold your hand through it at all there it it leaves so much for us to fill in this kind of does that too i mean we see uh, we can kind of join the dots in the beginning that et and all his little pals are there to to sort of gather some some plant life that seems to be what they have on their ship is just a lot of like different plants presumably from different planets that that they've landed on and that's sort of like what he's doing he's like plant-like as well in his the fact that you can sort of like see some of his organs and stuff inside mm-hmm. <laughs> inside his chest but even his abilities and what he can do, this connection that he has with Elliot, we see it and we see it at, at various points throughout the film used in both a, a comical and a sort of emotional way but it doesn't right. explain why that connection is is there necessarily it, I like that it, initially I was like oh it'd be cool to know why these two individuals are particularly connected i I mean the conclusion i drew is that they're both lonely and needing someone at that moment in time like elliot is like lonely his parents are divorced he's doesn't necessarily get on with his siblings that well feeling a bit distant from his mom and obviously et is without his family so that's the conclusion that i draw and sort of why they have this connection but the actual what et is able to do it leaves enough of that open for us to to figure out, which I enjoy, and I think it's it's good that this film, even though it is a kid's film, I mean Kip you said this right at the top, I think as well, like it may be a kid's film about kids, but it's not it's not talking down, it's not hiding this stuff away obviously the way it deals with like deeper themes but also it's not so simplistic that it doesn't also allow that space for interpretation and us to you know sit on a podcast however many years later and talk about it
2: (laughs) yeah i what was i gonna say oh i the connection with uh et and elliot i think is because their names start and end with e and t
0: there's also that yeah <laughs> but he why. gives et his name right he's not yeah. like Never thought yeah. About that. yeah he's e. not like what's really, up yeah. my name's et <laughs> yeah
2: yeah but i i actually do really like that characterization of et especially um uh at the beginning when like they're just kind of botanists and um they like the movie goes out of its way to show you that their plant their 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 ship is full of plant life and it's there's the cut to the to the bunny and then to the little tree sapling and they just take the tree they leave the bunny alone like it's it's very clever way to show the the sort of we come in peace without having to explicitly state <laughs> that and have an alien look at a human and be like we are not here to harm you or whatever <laughs> um it just like it very efficiently tells you what these aliens are about and what they're for like what their whole journey is what their mission is what they're trying to accomplish while they're here you know they land in the middle of the forest and like even ET walking around the forest he's looking around kind of awestruck at how big the trees are right like he's mm-hmm. he's walking around just kind of like taking it all in right he's just he's just vibing <laughs> and then these <laughs> these government officials c- come
1: through yeah i also <laughs> noticed like as you guys are talking, I thought there are a couple things I noticed. One is that uh, we never see Elliot, like, hang out with any kids his age other than in class. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, it seems like he does not have any friends, which is mm-hmm. why he bonds so closely with E.T. Um, But also, like, they kind of reveal E.T.'s powers gradually, but I feel like in a lesser movie or even something more derivative like stranger things like they would show et using his powers either accidentally harming someone or intentionally harming Mm -hmm. someone Mm -hmm. and it yeah it it does kind of reiterate that they're a very peaceful species because he never does that he always you know kills them if he builds anything it's just to contact his fellow aliens It's not to he's not building a death ray or anything Mm -hmm yeah Um, it's pure it's pure curiosity and exploration for et yeah yeah yeah. um okay one little bit of trivia i don't know if you guys knew this but uh this movie opened the exact same day as john carpenter's the thing i knew it was the same year i didn't know it was the same day (laughs) yeah and uh literally every just it could not have been like more like opposite reactions mm, because yeah. like the reviews to the thing were kind of hostile and just it made almost no money yeah and then you know et was playing for years and years and then they re-released it again in 1985 and mm. meanwhile the thing is just for you know people who like disgusting claustrophobic science fiction. <laughs> i Not freaking can love, the love the thing <laughs> the thing's cult, awesome it's so good <laughs> oh it's amazing but yeah it's so funny to me that two movies about aliens like showing up in a place you know unexpectedly and they i don't know who at universal decided to release it on the same day or whoever (laughs) was the distributor for the thing but yeah could not have been more different reactions even though i i yeah i think the thing yeah is it's horrible. great but it,
2: and it <laughs> 1982 is like that's widely regarded as one of the best movie years ever right like because you got mm. blade runner and et and the thing and poltergeist and creep show and fast times uh tron uh i know halloween 3 has its its uh <laughs> its lovers um what else came out in 82 uh 48 hours, Conan the Barbarian, Star Trek Wrath of Khan, Fitzcarraldo came out in 1982. Like it's <laughs> it's got something for first blood came out in 82. Uh it's got so much for I think every type of movie fan in that year, right? Um mm-hmm. Dark Crystal comes out in 82 as well. Uh Jeez. Yep. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, um, this movie starts with D and D at the kind of the height of the Satanic Panic. Uh, mm. Also mm-hmm. in 1982, the Tom Hanks vehicle Mazes and Monsters came out as well.
0: <laughs> huh. It all makes sense now. <laughs> I guess with the I'm just thinking about like this being released the same day as 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 the thing. You wouldn't like look at the two and sort of be like these are the two films i have to choose between like because obviously yeah. all the kids or families are going to go and see et and then presumably all the adults were uh were going to go and see the thing so it's all like there is something for everyone i don't i think what they didn't bank on is that all the adults were also going to go and see et yeah. so the thing is just kind of left uh with no one to appreciate it until many many years later when it sort of becomes this this cult favorite but yeah, unfortunate. I, there's a lot, I not necessarily these two films, but there's always these things where like, two very similar films come out at a similar time and like one does really well and one kind of flops. I don't know if anyone yeah. has ever written that about E.T. and the thing, but I would like to write that. <laughs> I feel that would be fun to dive into. Uh, could not be more different in their depiction of uh, alien life, but the fact that one was this, not even just a hit, like a monster a behemoth Mm. (laughs) is what et was it was really unstoppable i mean the fact that in this time i mean jaws was the 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 sort of biggest film of, of all time when that came out two years later you beat that with with or george lucas beats that with star wars and then what five years later spielberg beats it with et and then spielberg beats himself (laughs) with jurassic park just kind of nuts i mean how many huge films spielberg made and i i i like this sort of one-upmanship between him and george lucas obviously they were pals so it was very kind of good yeah good-natured and this sort of started this whole thing of um sort of publicly congratulating or putting out have you guys seen this so they sort of like he would put something in the paper that's just Mm -hmm. like congratulations george lucas on your you know star wars beating jaws and then lucas would do the same thing for et yeah it's like the picture
2: of r2d2 and c3po fishing and they got jaws on a hook or whatever yeah yeah
0: (laughs) and then spielberg did one for himself with like hey me well done me for making a (laughs) bigger film than i did
2: (laughs) no i don't know (laughs) i just made that up (laughs) oh that would have been amazing
0: that's exactly what i would do yeah for sure (laughs) i would hire a giant billboard and be like congratulations me (laughs) you've made a better film than i did
2: (laughs) yep Uh, uh another bit of trivia uh i was reading i was looking on imdb because i have a i have a question for you guys um that i'll ask after this bit of trivia uh Debra Winger is in this, and she was also nominated for Best Actress at the uh, at the Academy Awards for *Officer and a Gentleman*. Huh. Um, but she is an uncredited uh, nurse zombie carrying poodle in the Halloween scene. Fantastic. Is what she's <laughs> she's billed as on on IMDb. And my question, because the reason I was looking at IMDb, <laughs> is Francis Ford Coppola in this? Is he the doctor? uh
0: i don't think so <laughs> but i wouldn't put it past him i'm now trying to find a picture so i can check
2: this dude uh, looks so much it's uh it's i think it's when they do the cpr on <laughs> et uh which gross but they start taking mm. off all their ppe uh let me see i have the digital version pulled up here i'm gonna try to snag a picture for you guys and put it in the discord um <laughs> because this dude looks so much like Coppola to me i don't know
0: i feel like if he was in it that would be a thing that would be in like it Slip that into the special feature yeah. somewhere like it'd be mentioned because i like the all the little star wars references and the jaws references and stuff i feel like spielberg is quite sort of he mentions those things and is like yeah we put those things in but oh, man. oh wait Popping in a coupler, I feel like it, that would be more well, <laughs> widely known if that was the case. But I, I thought Martin was making up the Harrison Ford thing because, like, we were watching it and he was like, "Oh, I think this guy is Harrison Ford, the teacher." And then I looked it up on IMDb and realized it wasn't. And then I was watching the special features earlier, and it was the deleted scene that Harrison Ford was in. That
2: yeah, that guy—he does look like it. <laughs> <laughs> i dropped it in the discord kip if you click on the uh, the general tab oh yeah that it yeah. looks exactly yeah. like him right <laughs> it really does that's very
0: funny i don't yeah. think it is him but i would i would love it if it was
1: and just all the ECAs no one had realized it <laughs> Um, okay, so I was—I have to correct myself. So I was wrong. Uh, ET and the thing did not open on the same day, but yeah. they did open within two weeks of each other. Um, so here's—this is insane. Here is your June, 1982. I—I I would just be at the movies every weekend, just camped out. Okay, so <laughs> June 4th, Poltergeist and Wrath of Khan. June 11th, ET and Grease 2.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> and then 18th, you know. Firefox, Clint Eastwood movie, mm. or whatever. But then the twenty fifth, Blade Runner and The Thing. Blade Runner
2: sense. and The Thing opened on the same day.
1: Oh, The yeah. Thing didn't stand a chance, did it? I mean, no.
2: I mean, God it's, bless it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like UHF, the Weird owl movie, opened. Oh the yeah. The week <laughs> the week after Batman eighty nine and the week before Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're not yeah, sure got to look at that especially
1: <laughs> yeah yeah for an, someone as niches weird yeah
2: exactly like as much as i love <laughs> the man he has a very specific fan base that also is kind of a circle with people who are super into batman and indiana jones <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes for sure <laughs> um
2: so coppola's not in it but did you guys also notice the uh, the kid dressed as Spielberg? No, is this in
0: the ha- Spielberg in the Halloween thing?
2: No, uh, I popped this in the Discord too. It's when it's oh. the, the oh. kid Greg. <laughs> they totally dress him like Spielberg.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that
2: really made me laugh because yeah, he like it was funny it's right before yeah. the big rescue scene, and he's the kid who's been like kind of shitty to him the whole time, and. Uh, he like pops on his sunglasses and his hat. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) I was like, that's on purpose. (laughs) And then Kristen was like, is that kid's name George? Because it would be really funny if his name was George. She knew it was a G name. If he, his name was George and he was (laughs) dressed like Spielberg. And I was like, no, I think it's Greg. It is Greg, but it would have been really (laughs) funny if they would have named that kid George (laughs) to (laughs) you.
1: Yeah. And speaking of the buddies, I had completely forgotten that C Thomas Mm -hmm. Howell was in this and like, of all of the kids, he arguably had the best 1980s. Like, at least in terms of success. Yes. Because like, yeah. the, the older brother didn't really do much. And Henry Thomas, you know, I mean, he did Cloak and Dagger, which is a personal favorite, but it's not like he became a huge star yeah. either. Um, And then, you know, Drew Barrymore had her ups and downs. But yeah, the the guy who was like the fourth friend on the bike, the other kid on the bike, he was the one who went on to make the the most important yeah, movies. And also,
2: I don't know if you you mm-hmm. consider this an important movie, but I really like the Hitcher.
1: Oh, I've actually never seen it, but I oh. love Redger Hauer, so Yeah. Hitcher's great.
0: I, I have seen it, surprisingly. It's one of Martin's favourites, so good. I was forced to watch it. It's very good. I enjoy it a lot. But yeah, I guess it's sort of like talking about the the cast in this, it would be good to to talk about obviously the the kids in this and the rest of the cast as well but i spielberg gets really good performances out of these these kids and i can be up and down on kid performances i think sometimes it's very obvious when it's like look at me i'm in a movie i've been to drama school watch me act i feel like you can tell that that kind of get a a mile off but particularly I think from I mean Henry Thomas has a lot of <laughs> emotional heavy lifting to to do in this film, and Drew Barrymore is just like impossibly cute in this film, mm. so so sweet, and also just has really good timing as well, really like genuinely really good comic timing. But I I I this again is sort of not the first time Spielberg has worked with kids because I think the kids in Jaws also gave really really good performances, but spielberg being one of those directors who can get really good performances out of the kids and even the i mean we're sort of talking about the kids who aren't in it that much this this gang that are sort of on the bikes at the end even even they're pretty great with like not a whole lot to do personal favorite is the kid in elliot's class who doesn't say a single thing she's got the long like pigtail braids and she just holds these two frogs and stares like... Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, that's the funniest moment in the movie, I think. <laughs> so Made me laugh really good. hard. So good. It's such a great... <clears throat> <laughs> just for the fact she doesn't say anything, very memorable. But I think, given that I I don't often... <laughs> it's going to sound like Sarah hates children. Uh, given that I don't often enjoy the kid performances in films and can find them a little on the precocious side, this isn't that for me and i think is a sort of like a good example to use where it's kids acting well mm-hmm. in a film and also just acting like kids as well i feel like they're very believable as a group of siblings as a group of friends or whatever
2: yeah yeah they um even that that moment where they're like ordering pizza they say like weird shit that only kids would say <laughs> in a very real way like <laughs> I really like uh, when the, they're ordering the pizza, and they tell Elliot to go wait for the pizza, and they're telling him to like make sure it has this stuff and this stuff and this stuff on it. It's like you're ordering the pizza, man. Like he can't <laughs> he can't determine whether or not that's what you ordered. But then the one kid in the uh, in the the t shirt that just says Whip it on it says uh, everything but those little fishies. <laughs> Made me laugh really yeah. hard. I like that kid. <laughs> um there's also this moment of like one of the kids objectifying d wallace i don't know if you guys caught that like he reaches yes. out, like he like reaches she's like bending over putting stuff in yeah. the in the um dishwasher and he like reaches out like he's gonna touch her butt and like michael has to be like dude stop like like she's the hot mom in the group of friends and i was like oh that's very like very realistic like the, of like douchey horny teenagers doing stuff like that yeah. to each other. yeah
1: Oh I was just gonna move on and and ask about the whether you guys like the homage to the quiet man or not.
2: Yes, I loved it. I mean, you know, a little problematic. Um, but uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, that aside, I that's my favorite sequence in the movie. Um, I really love the way it's edited together. It's really, really really well edited and i think this movie i'm glad you brought that up because i wanted to talk about sort of the john ford influence on this movie because it's all over the place oddly enough um particularly with the way the government stuff is handled just like at the end when they're you know there's the 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 ridge line and the the sun in the background and the sort of uh the government agents and their suits are coming up over the ridge i mean it feels mm-hmm. like you know guys on horses in a george george ford john ford movie yep. Uh, coming up and, and and you know riding into town to to do their outlaw business or whatever, and so I think this like direct comparison to to John Ford in the middle of this like very sweet kids movie is one kind of odd, but in a very like <laughs> idiosyncratic Spielbergy way. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they make the the agents like seem terrifying to the kids and to Mm -hmm. the adults like it they're literally invading their home which is like probably every person's worst fear or at least you know as a kid Mm -hmm. it's like the one place you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. safe and these people in these spacesuits just breaking into your house it, it
2: kind of flips the um that scene from close encounters on its head right where the kid opens the door and the aliens like the light from the the ship yeah is outside like it's yeah. uh it kind of plays with that because it's not the aliens at this this time it's like other people from the same planet right it's other human beings mm.
0: yeah they they shoot them like aliens as yeah. well though like the way they sort of like move into the home and there's actually a pretty good sort of sp- kind of sort of jump scare <laughs> in there as well mm-hmm. like it's in a in a way that they like slip in a kind of like a jump scare into a, a kid's film but when this, they are sort of like coming into the house and it does then sort of take a take a darker turn really making that that scene scary I mean I can remember watching this younger it, it didn't sort of like have the same effect that Jurassic Park did on me which I really used to scare me as a kid doesn't anymore but I can remember not liking this bit of the film at all because what is super interesting about this uh, where this film goes and this sort of scene that we're talking about now where they're they're coming into their home is how prolonged that dread is that E.T. is not gonna make it and I, I wanted to bring in, uh, as the resident Disney nerd of this podcast, um, that Spielberg sort of talks about ET being like a Disney film and coming out at a time mm. when Disney weren't doing very well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think you mentioned that earlier, MJ, about the you know Disney films really, really dominating the kind of family kids film market. Uh, you know, prior to this, and this was a the sort of seventies, eighties was a bit of a, a down time for Disney. They were still making films, but it was after Walt had died and the, the studio was a bit directionless and some of the films were not that great. Um
2: Yeah, I mean they don't really write the ship until what? Little Mermaid? Yeah,
0: I mean that's the the sort of like start of the Renaissance, I would mm-hmm. argue basil the great mouse detective is <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> is the start of the renaissance because that film is excellent but that's a
2: that's a, another podcast for another yeah. time i guess who figure Roger um... <laughs> rabbit would maybe was
1: yeah that a hit? yeah
2: i know people love that movie but was that a hit when it came out
1: oh
0: yeah i think was. so no, sorry. Yeah. yeah yeah i'm sort of thinking of yeah the yeah yeah in terms of, like the the walt disney animated classics like Little Mermaid is when the the turning point happened, but yeah, the the ETS and the Goonies and these sort of other like family friendly films are sort of filling in in that void. But mm-hmm. where it's sort of like making me think of Disney is Disney doesn't shy away from the, the dark topics, right? Like bad things happen in Disney films, and they have this thing called a a, a Disney death where you mm-hmm. think the character is dead, and then it turns out they're not. And it doesn't usually last for like longer than about a minute or so because it's like there's only so long that you can sort of hold the kids in that moment of being like something bad has happened to this character that you love and get away with it. <laughs> because, you know, in the sort of like the rating system, sort of that can what make a film go from in UK ratings from like a U to a PG as being like mm-hmm. this is suitable for kids to this isn't because it has those moments of like prolonged dread. I forgot how freaking long this this bit feels in the film. And I've seen this film before. I know E.T. makes it. I was watching it and I was so concerned for this little guy. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> because that, that scene just, it feels so long. And it's like, up to this point, it has felt very Disney. It has felt very, like, positive and feel good. And this kid making a friend with the alien. And it's all, like, quite cute. And yes, there's moments of... Fearing for, for his safety and all that sort of thing but it's like this is like I mean he dies, he, j- he does die he comes <laughs> back obviously but it really holds you in that moment for longer than you would think and this is where it's it, 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 saying this film is just sort of this like schmaltzy sentimental film and kind of like it, it, yes that is where it gets to <laughs> it does end in that way but Spielberg really pushes it, I think, as far as he can in this bit with E.T.'s and Elliot's life Mm -hmm. being being in danger for quite a while. That I think is quite surprising in a film like this. And I, obviously, a good a a reason why I didn't like this bit as a kid because it was it was just that little bit too much for me (laughs) as a as a young kid watching this, worrying what was going to happen. To this little guy, but I I still felt that watching it yesterday, which I thought was was kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean that's Spielberg's whole deal, right? I think Spielberg he has this reputation for understanding kids, right? Like he's people say he's the best director to work with kids, and he gets these great performances out of kids. But I think he approaches things very childlike and not in a not I don't mean that in a condescending way um and uh he just he i think he understands the point of view of children in a way that a lot of people adults don't right like he he has very Mm -hmm. it's clear he has very strong memories tied to his upbringing for better and for worse and um you know he explores it in his films particularly at this point in his career that we're talking about through close encounters and then et and he I think the reason for that is because everything feels kind of alien anyway, when you're a kid, right? Everything's kind of new. And so Mm -hmm. everything's, everything's a new experience for you when you're, when you're a child. And, um, it also can be very scary, right? Especially in the, the wake of the people that, you know, you love and who love you not loving each other anymore. Right. So it's, it's him exploring the divorce of his parents in a, you know, less direct way than something like the Fablemans will, um and it, it you know it, it, it at a certain point it, that point where you're talking about the the, the line that he talks about like they oh he's in mexico with susan or whatever and d wallace breaks down it's like oh this is another spielberg sci-fi daddy issues movie because Spielberg <laughs> makes sci-fi movies about daddy issues because he has daddy issues which is you know i mean i think that's a valid way to make a film and uh <laughs> it definitely but because of that he he's able to linger in the scary moments in a way that is very not just earned and organic but in a way that like it it really makes people feel the fear of childhood again and maybe a way you forgot about and I think he does it in Jurassic Park with the T-Rex as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he does it in Close Encounters in that scene with the house with the lights coming in. Um, mm-hmm. and the fingerprints of that are all over the majority of Poltergeist. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, he just I think he just understands that so, so well. Um, and I think that's why. It almost doesn't make sense that his directly childlike
1: films aren't as good, like uh, BFG. I was just going to reiterate your point about Spielberg being a great director of kids because AI does not work unless he's not getting a great performance out of Haley Joel Osment, which he does. Mm.
2: A Spielberg blind spot for the two of us. Uh, one of the few yeah, I haven't seen. Yeah.
1: Oh, my. Uh, wow okay i am definitely gonna listen to that episode when y'all get there because ai is incredible
0: i'm excited to watch it because that was set. that was the one he picked up but there was like it was meant to be a kubrick film right and mm-hmm. he that was he sort Correct. of picked it up and yeah took that on so I, i'm a huge kubrick fan so i don't know how i've never watched it before uh surprised my husband every day when he's like you haven't seen it but uh i will uh, by the end of by the end of this by the end of this podcast i will have seen uh, all of spielberg's films that i haven't seen but um yeah that it's just sort of like i mean we, we've touched on this quite a bit but this idea of of in all of the the sort of quote kids films that that spielberg makes the way that he he tells those stories and doesn't ignore the darker elements to them i think is what makes them so enduring right that's why there are a lot of people's favorite films i know a lot of people at et is their favorite film a lot of people's favorite film is jurassic park you know that these films that they just have a way of being for kids, for adults, about kids, about adults, just kind of encompassing all of the I don't even know what the the point I'm trying to make, but like the not ignoring that those things are there and just but the way that that he conveys it, I mean it does E.T. I think especially like really pushes that feeling that that E.T. is dead i mean we have elliot has to sort of like grieve him for quite uh we then get the very funny bit when he like really over the top fake cries when he's not <laughs> when he's not dead and as yeah. uh everything oh, yes. is everything is all good <laughs> after that but yeah the <laughs> the it, it holds holding us there for longer than it longer than it should i I don't know many directors that do that as as well as Spielberg and, and the way he gets away with it as well. I think is what I'm what I'm trying to say, and it's the it's it's added something new to this film that I've not really appreciated before. I think because I've I've enjoyed watching it in this way, like as an adult watching it at, like under this lens, and I think actually i mean u s a and m j you know not having that childhood connection to e t like maybe that is why you're kind of not as as high on it as as others but i mean i i i saw it as a kid but i didn't it's not that like beloved film of my of my childhood like i right. liked it but it wasn't one that i went back to over and over again but i don't know i think it's it's in I, this is the most i've ever enjoyed watching it. watching et is watching it this time around with my sort of lj fam hat on like let me really look at what this film is is trying to do and what it's trying to say this is the most i've enjoyed it and the most i've got out of it because i think you can just see spielberg pouring so much of himself into it and how personal it is and yet it's also this film about an alien like being able to pull that off pretty impressive
2: really yeah i mean like i said it's a very very well put together film but i just don't i just don't get it for some reason
0: <laughs> i was hoping we could have uh, we could have changed your mind but hey it's, it's all right it's made for an interesting discussion at least because i don't know many people who don't like this film and i i know that you like it enough but you're just you're not it's not
2: Jaws. <laughs> yeah. Or Raiders or Jurassic Park. Yeah. Or like Last Crusade or any number, you know, Shimmer's List, same kind right? Like it's, it's not particularly high on my list of Spielberg movies. And it's like, I mean, if I ever have a kid, it's probably something I would show to them to see if they connect to it in a way I don't. Um, mm. But like, I, I think it is important for kids to see movies like this. I think it's a very mature film uh for mm. uh for children to see and that's good
1: yeah so so uh we both love it so uh sarah and i both love it and you're a little mixed but have you guys ever heard elaine may's opinion of the film no no <laughs> so i forget what interview it was but she was talking about it and the quote here is, can we swear or do you guys like to censor? Oh yeah, swear away. Okay. (laughs) Her quote is, she talked about seeing E.T. in a movie theater in Los Angeles. All around me people are sniffling and I keep thinking when is this fucking puppet gonna die? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. That's 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 such a perfect Elaine May. Yeah
1: way to talk about
2: that i i don't disagree with that um (laughs) i'm not not on board with that take uh yeah he just all right i'm gonna say it since we 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 were we were largely swear free for the most of the episode et looks like a penis i just don't (laughs) he just looks like a penis is it the
1: telescoping neck that doesn't help is that it doesn't help, uh,
2: but I was just like, man, he's he's so ugly to me. He's just and just like he's just all one shade of brown, and then I don't know. There's just something about it that doesn't it doesn't sit well with me. I, I do not like that little puppet. Uh, I like I think he's characterized well. I think he's very peaceful and very sweet natured. But just looking at him makes me sad. <laughs> Um, did you guys that's have anything very... else about ET, or did I murder <laughs> the conversation?
0: I was going to say that's a very different uh, reason for being sad at uh, ET than most people's reason for being sure. sad. Easy, so congratulations, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, um, there, I don't know. if This ahead, is because it's. Sorry, I don't. This is because it's the updated version or if this this is how the original version looked but they, the the thing that stops it from being like a five star film for me is that there were a couple of moments where the effects like did look a little bit ropey, and i hate saying that because i'm like it was the 80s this is 80s technology but some of the like the group of kids on on the bikes when they're flying it it, it, it just doesn't it, it's it kind of
2: dodgy looking like that.
0: yeah i think because it's more it's more in the daylight whereas when it's just like mm. elliot and et and obviously the very very famous shot everyone knows the bike going in front of the moon all of that looks great and i think is very convincing and very believable but it's seeing the big group of kids flying when i'm like it's not like that isn't the only thing that stops stops it from being five stars that's harsh um but to find a small nitpick i think that would be it but i i yeah go ahead it it gets it it does get me in the it does get me in the feels i'm not ashamed to say that i cry I cried watching this i'm a very emotional person anyway i will cry at absolutely anything um but it doesn't matter how many times i've seen et the i don't even think it's the end that makes me cry because it's probably a good thing that et is going home he spends this whole film wanting to go home so i'm not sad that he's I'm not sad that he's leaving. Like it's very touching. Obviously, it's this little kid saying goodbye to his his pal, and it's it's very sweet. And he sort of indicates, like he puts like his hand on his heart and then says "ouch," which you know, like a thing from earlier. It's like the clear that these two are quite heartbroken. The fact that they're having to say goodbye to each other. But the bit the bit I cry is when you think ET is dead, and like mm. this kid is just absolutely freaking devastated. Like then it goes to like. A little baby drew barrymore and she is just sobbing and it's very sad and i'm like i know this film knows exactly what it's doing uh-huh. in terms of tugging those emotional heartstrings but god damn it it works i yeah, the the score helps i think massively uh and i i don't love when the score is like telling you how to feel but i think because the score is so great in this i'm feeling those things anyway and i think i would be feeling them but the the score certainly helps make those moments like even even harder hitting but yeah i i enjoyed this film <laughs> a lot uh i don't know if i have anything more to more to add to it than that but yeah it makes me cry it does its job tick <laughs>
1: Yeah, the only thing I wanted to add is uh, I actually did watch the original '82 version mainly because the oh. I guess the effects updates in in the 2002 version are you know somewhat better. But he also did some bizarre choices like overdubbing a line of D Wallace's, and he you know switches out the guns in the cops' hands for walkie talkies, which at the yeah. time he yeah, defended because it's too intense. But I'm also like. Have you not ever heard any story about a cop? Like they are not like maybe they're not gonna be as aggressive as some of the worst stories you've heard, but it's not like they're gonna be, you know, kind and gentle and just, you know, call for backup. Like they're gonna have weapons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah. I, So I I I think it it plays better and truer to the time yeah the I kind, watched even the, if the effects um... are still I watched the 4K,
2: which I know restores the guns, um, but I don't know about the D Wallace line. I'm not sure. It's whatever whatever cut is on the 4K is is what I saw.
0: I think I saw the updated one because I was then watching some of the, the special features and it was telling... You all the all the stuff that they added in and what they changed and that felt very much like the version I had. What I don't I don't understand the gun thing because in Jaws there's a bit where the like the guys on the boat like literally point their guns at these like two kids in the water who are pretending to be a shark. So I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't see how this is different. Like why they would take that out and make them be walkie talkies. I I don't know. Am I missing something? I don't. know. The gun yeah. gun thing is very different over here to what it is in America. So I don't
2: know. Sure, I don't. Yeah, I don't stand by that. Yeah, like you said, there's a there's a POV shot of a gun pointing at a child in in Jaws. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's way more intense. Like if,
0: yeah, if you're gonna take the the the, the guns out of ET, then. Take them out of... I mean, don't take them out of Jaws. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Girls, Don't... Never change Jaws. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't... Uh, I don't have anything else. I just like the way D. Wallace interacts with the kids, too. I think she's really good in this movie. Um mm-hmm. I love when she hits Michael in the back of the head and says, no douchebag talk in my house. That's one of my favorite lines of the movie. <laughs> I really like that part. Um But yeah, just the way... I like, she's kind of like a, she's kind of a weirdo. I like that. Mm-hmm. Like, she she does weird shit in this movie sometimes. Like, that scene of her trying to put out the candle with her, like, magic wand on Halloween is really weird.
0: <laughs> the whole Halloween thing. I mean, like, she's the most animated she is, I think, in the entire film. And she's, like, dressed up as well. And she's, like, so excited to take that picture of the kids. And yeah. I... I love her in this as well, and I, I, we've mentioned it quite a bit, but the the way she breaks, like in front of the the kids as well, you can so clearly see that she is just like this struggling mum, like trying to keep it together in front of her kids. But it it doesn't explicitly say like how long it is since the since the dad like walked out on them, but it feels like it wasn't that long ago. Like yeah. it's it's fresh enough that it's still sort of emotionally. Affects her and sort of like makes her you know like what she says about he doesn't even he doesn't like Mexico (laughs) like why why is he there kind of thing I think she is she's really great in this and the I love the bit as well when I think it's when E.T. is is drunk and she like hits him with the fridge Mm -hmm. uh and uh Gertie is like there's a man from space like you've already killed him or or something but she is just completely oblivious and some questionable parenting as well in how often she leaves this what is quite clearly a small child like alone <laughs> in the house she's like i'm popping out you you as a five-year-old or whatever you are you're gonna be fine for a bit on your own aren't you yep see ya maybe the 80s were a different time i don't know but
2: <laughs> yeah i think it's that i think like that was the latchkey kids <laughs> decade was the 80s and yeah uh I yeah. think that's one of the <laughs> reasons why parent. people connected to it because they definitely remembered their parents doing that, especially single parents like <laughs> probably have to work multiple jobs yeah. at that point. And like I like the that characterization too of her um, being so oblivious because she has to be so busy doing everything else, like doing the job of two parents. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really well communicated without being super on the nose about it. And mm-hmm. yeah, even like you said, the timeline she when she calls the police after she thinks uh Elliot's run away she, and the 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 cop asks like, "Oh has there been any stresses in the life like that would have made him do this?" And she says, uh uh she says my, my father or his father and them or his father and I recently separated, and that's the mm. only thing mm-hmm. she says She's, but it, she does make a point to say that it's, it's somewhat okay. recent. In their life, which is also why he probably has this deep connection to E. T. even besides the bodily stuff. But it's very funny that she like gets a call from the school and they're like, Elliot's drunk and she's like, Weird, I'm gonna go pick him up and then that doesn't come up again at all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like this is a thing that regularly happens. (laughs)
2: yeah
0: (laughs) because she even like picks up the can doesn't she and like sees the can is empty and like she doesn't know it's et that's drunk here but she sees this empty beer can like oh yeah makes sense he's (laughs) he's gone to school drunk again yeah
2: she's like intoxicated (laughs) and then she sniffs the beer can to make sure it was beer i don't know why she sniffs the beer can (laughs) and then uh she's just it just never comes back at all
0: (laughs) oh she is great (laughs) <laughs> she is great in this i love that she is always speaking about how this this film is is shot that she is shot like one of the kids as well i think that's actually really fitting mm-hmm. for for her character the way she sort of interacts with the kids as well she is not the same as the other kind of like big scary faceless adults uh in this this film and the, the way they are shot and i i i like that i think she is one of the best things about this film for me and a film that has got a lot of great performances in it she's she's up there with the best
2: yeah you know what movie totally fumbles that same type of mom character mm. book of henry
0: <laughs> never seen it probably never will <laughs> no
2: oh my god what a piece of crap movie it's so bad but they try to do that single mom who's also kind of in a state of arrested development so the kids kind of have to look after themselves type of deal but it's so it's so Uh, stupid what a stupid movie (laughs) movies infuriating (laughs) anyway it's very much tries to be that kind of movie um oh also before people yell at me super eight is another kids on kids on bikes movie um uh yeah Yeah. yep uh yeah uh but we're gonna listen we're gonna hear from you guys now so we put out the tweet to um Respond to your thoughts on uh, E.T. and uh, at Designer Doe, previous guest Katie. She said, a wonderful film, but I can rarely rewatch it because I get too emotional. Spielberg knows how to tug on the heartstrings. Of course, I think the score is brilliant, which is true.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Rick Rollin, ZO, says, arguably the best John Williams score. A lot of the music reminds me of Father and Son from Jaws uh, in the piano work. Um, the scene where Brody and Son make monster faces—it's surely not a coincidence that it's a scene about children and parenthood, which are also ET's biggest themes.
0: Um, they just on that quickly—they mm-hmm. do a, a very similar scene where ET mimics mm-hmm. Elliot, mm-hmm. and I was like, that definitely feels like Spielberg referencing him, referencing himself, because the score at that moment is like similarly whimsical to the that piece of score. In Jaws. So as I was watching it, I was like, yeah, that scene, this feels like Spielberg being like, I'll do the thing in Jaws. Yeah. With, the, with these two. And it, it really works for that moment as yeah.
2: well. Yeah. Uh, oh, something I want to mention. Sorry, before we get to the last tweet. Actually, I'll do the last tweet first. Um, at Ramblin' Amblin' um, said, makes Josh cry while Andy is made of stone. I am i am Andy. <laughs> it's me. I'm Andy.
0: I'm um, Josh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Team Josh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the chase scenes in this movie are great Why? Like,
0: so, mm-hmm. yeah they're so
2: good spielberg's so good at capturing chase scenes it's uh, it's uh, it's they're so like energetic and exciting and shot so inventively while also very clearly communicating the geography of the space to you and how far apart everything is and where everything is in relation to each other it's really really excellent chase filmmaking especially The big chase at the end where, uh, you know, the cops are chasing the kids on the bikes and, uh, I I think everything up and like, um, Michael and Elliot are in the van and Elliot's undoing the, the, the latches Mm. for the, the, the tube or whatever that the the guys are in. It's great. It's, it's, it's really, really good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, uh. Shout out to our patrons! Uh, if you want to help us uh, out financially, you can, and you'll get a, a monthly bonus episode. Which this month, this October, is a two and a half hour uh, episode. That's it's our audio commentary. It's uh which is the reason we started our Patreon to begin with. But we, Sarah and I, just yesterday at time of record, like she mentioned earlier, sat down together and watched Jaws start to finish and recorded. All our analysis and thoughts and rants and ramblings uh, while the film played <laughs> uh, in the background, sort of. Um, but yeah, two, uh, two, two hours of, of us talking about Jaws in case you haven't had enough. And that officially puts us over the 100 hour mark of talking about Jaws. Woo! Um, <laughs> we did it. Yeah. Bravo. Yep. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just $3 a month um, or three pounds. Uh, and. You will get that. Uh, as of now, you will get that and um, an episode where we talk to Jack Cooper, uh, our resident shark boy, as he has identified himself, uh, to talk about some recent findings about Megalodon that were very, very, very fascinating. Um, we have lots of interesting interviews coming up with uh, the, the sort of creatives behind our theme song and our our logo. Uh Yeah um and uh yeah uh so griff andrew jack cameron callum mike katie rachel blake christopher and carrie thank you so much for uh supporting us on patreon if you want to support us on patreon it's uh patreon.com slash jaws for a minute um
0: yep yeah Thank you, thank you so much, um, Kip, for joining us. It's been really, really great cool. to have you on. We've, we've battled through some audio issues, but we we've made it through the other <laughs> made it through the other side. So thank you so much for joining us to talk about ET. And uh, yeah, if you have anything that you would like to plug or let people know where they can they can find you on social media, now's your chance.
1: Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. This was a great chat. Um, right now, my only kind of regular publication is at college movie review.com um my most recent review for amsterdam went up which uh sadly is not very good um you can check that out there and then you can find me on pretty much all the regular social channels at kip j mooney
0: great uh mj anything that you would like to plug um
1: yeah
2: real perspective (laughs) r-e-e-l perspective um it's my other podcast. It's a current release, movies and TV shows uh podcast. We're doing Cobra Kai season five next. Um and then Something Spooky. Not sure what, but something spooky. <laughs> uh might be Drag Me to Hell, might be Midnight Mass. It's one of the two, probably. Um Yeah, that's that's all I have. Uh you can yeah. Yep. You're gonna tell you're gonna do my Twitter in a second. Sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah i'll do that <laughs> i'll do the thing don't worry uh for me i will plug again the episode of uh uncut gems that i was on talking about roy scheider film 52 pickup um i that was out i think a-, a little while ago and i mentioned it on last week's episode but yeah go and check that out uh if you haven't already uh my piece that i wrote about the seven best and seven worst richard dreyfuss films is now up on on looper so you can find all the stuff that i've written for them at looper.com forward slash author forward slash sarah buttery or just find it on my twitter is where I've linked that uh please read and support me in that because I watched some really bad (laughs) Richard Dreyfuss films uh so it'd be nice to to uh, be rewarded with many people reading and sharing that piece that I poured a lot of love into um a very quick uh throwback uh thing to plug as I've mentioned disney uh, a little bit on this show i did a whole ass uh podcast series for jumpcast talking about the the Walt disney animated classics um wherever you find podcasts if you just search for jumpcast you will have to scroll back quite away um i'll try and remember to tweet out the spotify playlist that i made with all of the episodes in as well but uh me and my co-host uh, and friend barry we went through all of the Walt Disney animated classics uh, up to and including Raya and the Last Dragon. We didn't get to Encanto, but if you want to hear me talk about Disney, uh, all of those episodes will exist. You can go and listen to those. Uh, you can get in touch with uh, us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Jaws for a minute or you can email us Jaws for a minute at gmail.com. You can also follow us individually on Twitter. Here we go. I'm at Sarah Buddery and MJ is at MJSmith891. On our socials, you will find our link tree that's got links to buy our merchandise through TeePublic or Redbubble. You can buy our theme song through Bandcamp uh, and you can find the links to make a one off donation through our coffee page or, as uh, MJ mentioned, to subscribe for regular bonus content through our Patreon page. To support the show at no extra cost, you can rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, um, which we really appreciate. Helps uh, more people find the show. We entered into the podcast charts in Japan. Uh, I always enjoy when we're in the charts in a new country. so <laughs> I will mention that. Was it Norway last time? I can't remember. We're, we're always excited to, when there's a, another country pops up on our list of uh, yeah, charts I that we so. experience. So thank you, Japan. Uh, yeah. Uh, until next time, what is our next film? I can't remember off the top of my head now. Let me find my spreadsheet real quick. Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. Of course, Temple it is of Doom. more Indiana Jones. uh it's we're of very Doom. Very excited <laughs> to watch some more Indiana Jones. I've not watched that film in a very long time, so could be an interesting <laughs> one. Yeah, uh, I know people have some thoughts Neither on are. that film. Not all of them good, yeah. interestingly. So uh yeah, we'll put out we'll put out the tweet uh for that so you can guys yep. can let us know your thoughts on on that one. But uh yeah, until then, until next time, it's Jaws o'clock somewhere. <laughs>